Hey everyone, welcome to the Layers of Design podcast. I'm your host, Ebehi. Before we get this episode started, I have some exciting news. We love our Sketch It Out episodes so much that we decided to create espresso mugs and sketchbooks with pretty cool graphics that our producer Gabriel creates for the Sketch It Out episodes. Check them out at the Layers of Design podcast shop on our website, layersofdesign.online, and grab some for yourself or for a friend. And also, stay tuned for the giveaway of two items from our shop. Well, in this episode, I have a conversation with Vanessa Smith-Torres, a licensed architect, project manager at Via Design Studio, and the vice president of the South Florida chapter of NOMA. She shares with us her experience studying architecture and what prompted her move to different cities, gaining knowledge and experience in the profession. She talks about some challenges she faced maneuvering the field of architecture as a black female architect and how she overcomes them. It's always a pleasure listening to Vanessa. She shares her experiences openly with the aim of encouraging other designers and architects that they are not alone and they can keep going in the profession. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Hi, Vanessa. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you because, I mean, I've I've known you for like a year now, about a year. And, you know, just being in the same NOMA meetings and hearing you speak, it's really inspiring. And, you know, your, the confidence you have and everything you've achieved is really inspiring. So it's really great to have you on here. Thank you for coming and welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, it's really great to be here. And <laughs> thank you for saying such nice things. Oh. Um, it's, it's really nice to know that, uh, you know, I've inspired other people. Um, that's always a goal, you know? Yes, definitely. So can you start by telling us what got you into design and architecture and what your passion is? It's a really funny story, actually. I grew up in theater. I was always involved in theater and in the arts growing up in music, singing, playing instruments, dancing, performing. Um, and that that's really what I pursued was the arts. But then I think like an engineer. Um, <laughs> my best subjects were always math, physics. I was just joking with my sister about teaching my five-year-old nephew, actually four, he's still four, um, about gravity. And that's just how my mind functions. And so I think I gravitated to architecture because I have the mind of an engineer, but I just want to be an artist. Oh. Um, so yeah, so in undergrad, I I started double majoring in theater and architecture, and then they both have a lot of outside of class time commitments between mm -hmm. rehearsals and model making. Uh, so I ended up doing my undergraduate degree in theater and uh, doing a lot of stuff with costume design, uh, set design as well, um, and then doing my master's in architecture. So I think that marriage of arts and engineering is really what drew me to architecture. Oh, wow. That's very interesting, actually. The combination of theater. And do you use like some of your, do you draw inspiration from there for some of your designs? I think that it's it's less about um, the inspiration from theater into design. It's, it's mm -hmm. each project has its own uh, inspiration and its own, own story. Um, but I think that it 
it brings a lot to my process and the way I think about things. So I think one of the biggest things that I've drawn from theater into architecture is just uh, the performance aspect, uh, because there is a lot of interaction with with clients, uh, pr mm -hmm. presentations and interviews and things like that. And I've never been afraid of that because to me, it's just another performance. Um, so I think that's that was like a huge leg up that I had oh, going wow. into architecture is that, that background and that lack of fear about doing those types of things. Very interesting. I like how you um, compared like the meeting with the clients and the interviews with it being a performance. I well, think it really is for me, <laughs> for me especially because I'm I'm a lot more self-conscious than I come off, um, especially in you know now we're gonna get a little a little deep, um, you know especially being a woman in a male-dominated field, um, and especially looking a lot younger than I do, um, and especially I I lived and worked in New Orleans at the start of my career, and New Orleans. You know, you think of the city and it's a very diverse city, but architecture, not so much. Um, and there is a lot of um, self-consciousness there, knowing that what people thought or probably thought looking at me and their preconceived notions, i.e. racist notions. Yeah. Um, so having to overcome that, overcome that self-consciousness of I look young. They already don't respect me because I'm a woman. They already don't respect me because I'm brown. So having to overcome that as a performance. Mm. You know, that's very interesting. And I love that you brought that up, actually, because that's one of the topics I wanted us to touch on. So being a woman of color in architecture, how you've given us a bit on, you know, your experience. But how has it been and how have you overcome, like, some of the challenges? I think the hardest thing was feeling alone mm -hmm. um so what i have more recently um for for a while i was looking for other people like me to support me and so now i'm kind of in the shifting of making myself more visible and present for other people to have me as a support um, to inspire them um wow. but I think the hardest part was being was being alone. Um, I felt like when I was first starting out, um, I really felt that there was a certain type of person who would get promoted um, and who would get these opportunities, and that that type of person was a very cookie cutter uh, white bro type. <laughs> uh, and it was I you know I look back on a lot of times when I. I thought that it wasn't where I just felt like I didn't fit in, whether it's in architecture or in theater. And I, I usually just felt like I'm just, you know, like these aren't my people. I'm, you know, it's a personality thing. We're just not jiving. Yeah. And that's fine and that's fair. But I'm, you know, looking back at what those experiences were where I felt like I didn't fit in. And it's, I was the only like non-white person there and you know being hispanic it's you know i'm also not american mm -hmm. um the way the music i grew up listening to um just the food i eat like all of these things 
was a was a barrier to connecting with my colleagues, my peers, my classmates, whatever. Um, and you know, I've I've realized that while it's not that I didn't fit in or I I you know I wasn't jiving because uh, maybe my classmates are were had these like explicit like racist or cultural feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that just this cultural barrier was a barrier to connection. And when you have those barriers to connections to people in power, so if I, when I can't bond uh, with the principal at my firm because he's a bro, but then the, the recent grad who's also a bro, they find those connections really easily yeah. and that advances his career. So it, it takes a lot more work Mm-hmm. for me um, to make those connections. And it takes a lot more effort from the principal, from the partners in firms to realize that of themselves, that they're just, they're giving opportunity and promotion to the people who remind them of themselves. That is only one specific type of person. Wow. <laughs> that is so true. You know, I had never even fully thought about it that way. And this is why I wanted to have this conversation with you too, because you always think, you know, you always have this other insight, this added insight. So um, yeah, I had never really thought about it that way because me, myself, being from Nigeria, I came to the States to, to study architecture. And for a while, I kept looking for, I, I felt so alone, honestly, and I had so many friends. And for a while, I just kept looking for, you know, my group of people. And there were not that many Nigerians in, you know, in FIU, And even in architecture, there was like, I think there was only one Nigerian in architecture aside from me. So I kept on looking for, you know, my group of people, how to relate. But then I I kind of, because architecture is so challenging. After some time, I just didn't have time to keep searching for people that look like me. Like I needed to focus. And, you know, that kind of, I just used architecture as a way to block out every feeling of loneliness until I graduated and then it hit again because I didn't have this intense school schedule and I started that search again like okay which firm am I going to work at that I can connect more with the people and I noticed like in a couple firms that I went to I, I always noticed the same things that I wasn't necessarily progressing in my career but I never thought of it like maybe the person just isn't connecting with me like that you know it didn't matter how many like how much effort I put into a project, it was just that connection wasn't there, right? So it's it's really interesting that you said that, and especially when you when you brought up the topic that um you started instead of searching for people, you started making yourself more visible. I think that's really great, and I do think that is really important because that's kind of what I'm also trying to do with layers of design, like making my myself visible, making my story visible, making you know, other stories of people of color in architecture, making that visible so people don't go through this alone because it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to go. It is hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I think I've repeated over and over again in the past few months, maybe years, if they can see it, they can be it. And I think that's the most important thing because, um, you know, like I say it, that I want to make myself more visible, but it's not about me. It's about, mm-hmm. you know, me five years ago and giving her somebody yeah connecting with with other people who are me now in order to give me five years ago 
somebody to look up to and to aspire to. Definitely, definitely. So um, just to backtrack a little bit, can you tell us about your work experience and, you know, where you are now in your process and all of that? <laughs> now, there's a story I, I, I kind of wanted to share along those lines. Um, so I, um, I, I went to architecture at Tulane in New Orleans, um, and part of my journey to New Orleans was my undergrad career was in Boston. Okay. I'm, let me let me rewind. Let me rewind. <laughs> um, so I mentioned I'm not I'm not American. I was born in Puerto Rico. Um, my parents are both Puerto Rican, um, and they moved to New York uh, when I was two. So I did grow up in New York, but I grew up in this town where it, it was truly very very diverse. Um, and in fact, if you ask me to gauge it, like what percent black, Hispanic or white, I'd say it was a pretty evenly split 30% black, 30% white, 30% Hispanic, 30% or, you know, 10% other, or, you know, what, what was left over was other. Um, and, but then when I was in college, I actually was able to look at the high school profile for that high school. And apparently my high school was 13% white. Um, so I had the advantage of growing up in a place where I did not feel different, where I did belong, where my food, my music, like who I was, was like all over the place and readily accessible. And then when I went to college, it wasn't. I didn't even know how to go to the grocery store because there wasn't a Goya aisle. Um, and I think that that was like the first time, you know, I left this place where I was just... I was just a Puerto Rican girl and, you know, I don't have to think more about my identity my place mm -hmm. in this country because there are so many people who are like me, like I'm not the first, anybody's first anything. Um, and I went to college and that was certainly not the case. Um, you know, higher ed generally is a lot less diverse. Um, and then theater is pretty similar to architecture and their, and their struggles. Um, and I had the, interesting experience of being somebody's first black friend and I was wow. like wow oh, okay, okay. <laughs> um and so that's when I that's why you know when things happen and I wasn't clicking with people I took it more as personality and I, I didn't think more about uh, about cultural you know bar barriers to entry and you know barriers in our relationships because of our backgrounds so from there, I kind of, that's, that's what took me to New Orleans, you know, having that experience and it being really, really cold in Boston. Um, I moved to New Orleans because New Orleans does not have, like, you think about New Orleans, it is a very diverse city. Um, it's, it's called, it calls itself the northernmost city of the Caribbean. And in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways it is. Um, and um, so I went down there as kind of a response to those experiences I had in Boston of suddenly actually feeling what it feels like to be a minority in this country. And it wasn't, it was surprisingly not much different because I was in architecture in New Orleans. And exactly as you're saying, architecture takes up so much of your time. You're in architecture. You're not, you're not really you know, if you have to go out and find people outside of architecture, find your group, your your posse, then it's it's double work. Yeah. Um, but uh, I had I had a pretty good I had a pretty good class. Uh, there was thirteen of us in the graduate class, and there were actually um, three uh, 
three black women um, in that class, which is really impressive. But in Tulane as a whole, not so much. When I graduated, I had, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I have more stories, but I'll, I'll, I'll skip. Um, when I graduated, I had the really great fortune of being hired by um, what is arguably the best firm in the city. Um, it's a really top firm in the region, nationally recognized, um, SQ Dumas Ripple, and I loved it. I was so happy. It was you know, the best thing that ever happened to me. And I was so, so happy to work there for exactly three years. <laughs> um, and I had really great mentorship. Um, there were, there were definitely people there who, who supported me and who, um, who wanted to see me succeed. Um, and, you know, some of the best advice that I got was, oh, don't wait to get your license, you know, work on it now. And they were very encouraging. And part of that for me, part of that drive was, again, that self-consciousness of I look 12, I need these people to take me seriously, I need everybody to take me seriously, so I'm going to get my license and that's going to be one more thing and they're going to take me seriously. So I got, I got licensed very quickly and I, I think the firm was very supportive of, of me, of uh, me advancing, but when I started to notice some discrepancies and kind of be vocal about it the way woman after woman in the firm kept leaving uh the way that in the four years that i worked there i worked with exactly like half my time i was the only the only person who could check the african-american box um which is which is misleading because i'm not a part of the african-american community yes i'm black um but um, that's a different conversation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey there. So our next Sketch It Out episode is this Sunday, October 11th at 1 p.m. I'll be discussing the topic Living with Environmental Intuition with Andrew Ackart, a licensed architect and project manager at Brillhart Studio. To be part of this episode, head over to layersofdesign.online to register for our free webinar. Now, let's get back to the conversation with Vanessa. And this is in a city that's 60% African American. Mm-hmm. And there, it should be more than two people. At most, there, it was me and one other person at most. And that's really disappointing. And I felt as these issues were being raised, leadership wasn't taking it seriously, or they just didn't understand, um, or they felt like because there was one person who did really well that that was that that was enough um and it really i started to think for a while there that maybe i wasn't a good enough architect and maybe this was you know like this person was advancing because they were better than me and it it honestly took um I have a really good friend who is a year behind me in her career. She graduated a year afterward. She was hired. Um, and she's amazing. She's an, an amazing artist, an amazing designer. Um, just a, She's really great at, at everything from, from the technical knowledge to the artistic proficiency. And I saw a young, a young man um, about two years after she was hired be given opportunities over her. 
Wow. So he, she was, she has more experience and she, and he was given opportunities over her. And, uh, you know, looking at it from the outside, I realized, no, like there's nothing wrong with me. It's not about my skills or lack of skills. Yeah. Like I, this is, this is legit. Um, <laughs> so it took, you know, looking at it from outside myself and my experiences to really solidify that and have that, um, feel validated and I think that's another thing important thing too to have those conversations and for for you know me five years ago to have had these had other people to talk to and and listen to because the more you share your your story the more you realize it's not just you but yeah I had um other other than the ultimate (laughs) ultimate feeling like they there was a glass ceiling at that up from for me it was a really amazing experience because of the design opportunities and the creative opportunities. And I do love everyone there. And I did have a great experience with, with the people personally. Um, but it was just the systemic structure of the firm, which is a systemic structure of architecture and ultimately our society that I had a problem with. And so in the same, very much the same way that, I moved to New Orleans in response to my experiences um, in Boston. I moved to Miami um, because I was like, I will not be the only Hispanic woman in a firm. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, so I came here because I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a lot of Hispanics in Miami. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's what that's what drew me here. Um, I I came and I worked at a woman-owned firm, a very small woman-owned firm, for for a little bit. And then ultimately you found um, where I'm at now at Via Design Studio, uh, which is women-owned. Uh, all of our uh, technical staff are women. Um, so like That's amazing. And all Latin. So nice. It's, uh, it's, it's been a really great experience. Wow. That's awesome. And I love to hear your growth, you know, from you just feeling like, at a point, you just feeling like it was you, you know, like it was your personality that wasn't making you move forward to actually realizing that, nope, it had nothing to do with you at all. It was just, you know, other people's biases or things that they decided to ignore. Yeah, I think I think that's really important. And honestly, something similar happened to me as well, where I had to stop thinking or, you know, remove this idea that it was me. It was always my fault because... I mean, if I do say so myself, I work very hard. <laughs> and just from working, I know the skills I always gain, but I was never being pushed the way I wanted to, like in my career. And that took a whole toll, you know, and it took, like you said, again, seeing other people kind of grow and me thinking, but wait, this person is even more advanced than I am. And the person isn't even growing in their career. Like this isn't about us anymore. So I think that's important that people realize that earlier on because it can, if it just festers on, it can yeah. really cause damage. Yeah, and I think um, it, it's really important to have these conversations and to talk and to share the stories because when you realize it's not just happening to you, you, mm-hmm. can, you can realize that it's not anything you're doing um, or it's not something personal because of you and... Um, I think that as women, uh, frequently uh, we're we're kind of trained or raised or I don't know what society does to us to always think it's our fault. 
and I think that if I think that's a, that's a challenge that we don't have uh, that many people who are like us to have these conversations with. I remember this is, this is going to be an awful story. <laughs> um, I was I was at a conference and again, I'm really self-conscious. So it's, so it's like, okay, look 12. What's, what's the dress I'm going to wear that's going to make me look professional? How am I going to do my hair to make me look professional and like I belong here? So I put a lot of thought and effort to this. And, you know, I step outside of the conference, the conference hotel, mm-hmm. and like some guy is catcalling me, trying to trying to solicit me. And I like just get into a cab, you know, I do my usual just get into a cab and just like start going through, oh my God, was my dress too tight? Like, is this not a professional look? And it took reading an article um, by a female doctor about her experiences at conferences where people thought she was on her husband's arm rather than he being there as her plus one. Oh, wow. Um, where she basically said for a lot of people, they're they just assume that a black woman at a conference is it and it isn't an escort because there's no other reason for her to be there. And, you know, by, by the time I read that article that, that it, that my experience at the conference had been like long gone and there was nothing, um, you know, that dude was, I can't even remember his face. Uh, it wasn't like anything I could talk about with my superiors, but it's it took me saying like I've been festering with that feeling. This dress wasn't professional enough, and it takes another profession, another like someone completely outside of my my professional circle to kind of validate no Vanessa, like it's got nothing to do with you. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's that's something that we need to change. Like I should have been able to uh, talk to a a woman at my firm and say, Oh man, this happened. This sucked. And her say, and her give me that either in the moment or prep me for those types of feelings or just have someone who would listen and understand okay. and help me work through how, like what my response was and, and what I should, you know, do moving forward in the future if this ha- ever happens again. But I didn't have that. So I, you know, that's, that's why I think it's really important to share the stories. And if it's not someone directly in your firm, um, you know, these stories are out there and yeah. people can, can hear and connect and realize, no, your dress is not too tight. The dude is a jerk. It's all on him. Period. Exactly. Yeah. It's all on him. <laughs> I completely agree, honestly. And I, Right now, so talking about the current climate, right, in that we are in architecture and in America and in the world, right, where we are all holding everyone, the big organizations, the small organizations, we're holding everyone accountable, right, for their actions. How do you see, or rather, wh- what do you think our role is as women of color in architecture right now? One is, I think, is show up show up, be there, be there for each other, be there for, you know, the future generations. Um, I think that's important. Um, I do not think women do a lot of unpaid work. Women of color do a lot more unpaid work. Um, So I do not think our job is to 
teach people at this moment Mm -hmm. people need to teach themselves or people need to hire people who get paid to do the teaching the educating the analysis the accountability um and i think right now our job is to be there for each other and give each other what we need i think you know if if uh, if a woman or someone a person any person of color uh, does want to invest their time in accountability and in creating um, structures or programs for other organizations uh, to affect change, more power to them. But these organizations and groups should not expect free labor of people at this time. Um, that's been, you know, that's been happening a lot. Like, oh, so-and-so is a noted speaker on this subject. Can you come here, come do a, a lecture for me? It's like, are you going to pay me? Oh, no. I just, you know, you talk about this all the time. I thought you could. Like, no. Yeah, I completely agree. Because I think what, what they might also forget is that even if, you know, there's a woman or anyone really, any, anybody of color that's constantly talking about these having these conversations with people even if they do that it also takes a toll on them you know it's not something that is easy for them to just wake up and always talk about all of these negative things happening to you know people just like them so even just to be invited to speak just because oh we hear you talking a lot about this you must love doing this like no, honey, like, <laughs> you know, I can, be, yeah. I can be doing many other things, too. Yeah. But that's, I, I like what you said about us showing up and being there for each other. I think that's, it's, it's the time for that. It really is the time for that. How do you think the future of, to you, what does the future of architecture look like for a woman of color? Huh, huh, huh. <laughs> um, I mean, I think there is, there is a lot of work to do uh clearly but what i'm hopeful for is is more representation that will build more representation that will build more representation um i'm hopeful that these conversations people will start looking at themselves more and be more more aware of of their decisions and their positions of power so you know, for example, there was recently a a webinar on achieving fellowship in the AIA, and the two people on the on the call were who, who were leading the call were white presenting men, and that's disappointing. Um, <laughs> and I understand that the two people on the call were the two people in in such and such position. And those are the people, you know, the people in that position are the ones who lead the call every year. But, you know, no one took the time to say, huh, at least let's get get a person of color in there. Let's get a woman in there. Let's get a third person so that it's not just white presenting men, because it just makes you feel not included. It makes you feel like, you can't relate to these people. This conversation isn't for you. There isn't a place for you in in this conversation. And so I actually, I reached out to someone who's really involved with that and was like, what is happening? And they did another one, at least locally, they did another one and they had the women speak. Um, so the Women in Architecture Committee of the AIA had a similar presentation geared on getting more women to fellowship. Um, so I think that's that's what I'm um, I'm hopeful for that 
instead of instead of having to have this that second presentation people are are looking at themselves more and saying oh i'm i'm i have a panel oh i'm hiring professors oh i am i'm putting together a conference well who is speaking who is involved and and making sure that they're they're inviting the right people and reaching out to the right places um that that firms looking for new hires stop calling the same the, the same, same five universities that that you know put out the same type of student whereas you know facts statistically half of all black architects come from seven schools mm-hmm. so if you're really committed to diversity why aren't you re- reaching out to those seven schools um so it's it's things like that that's what i'm that's what i'm hopeful and optimistic for that people that people in power are going to look at themselves due to all of these conversations and see what they can do and how they can um they can open the doors for more representation because if they can see it they they will be it and once you know the the younger students see professors who look like them they will stay in architecture once Mm -hmm. recent grads see from from leadership that looks like them, they will stay in architecture. They will move to firm leadership. So that's that's my that's my hope. <laughs> yeah, that, representation. That's that's a great hope. I'm right there with you too. Because honestly, like you keep saying, if you see it, you can be it. You know, and then you begin to believe it. Um, and that's that's honestly just half of the work. <laughs> when you start actually believing and manifesting that you can be in that position then you're really, you're more excited to actually want to be there. But, um, so before we wrap up, right, I want to ask you what, oh, wait, first of all, do you have any questions for me so far? What got you into architecture? Oh, (laughs) well, I got into architecture because the short story, I always, I've always been drawn to helping the less privileged. So my way of giving back to my community has always been through architecture. So I'm a big fan of, you know, community engagement, of community development, and I'm really into humanitarian architecture. So yeah, that's pretty much what got me into architecture, making beautiful designs for the less privileged. So before we wrap up, what is, I guess, what is your favorite thing to do in your free time? What's free time? That little sliver, you know, just yeah. that. <laughs> so I think I think this is this is probably part of why I became an architect. But um, what I've been doing a lot of is just like making little things. I have a niece and nephew, and I just like to make things for them. Um, so whether it's like little boxes to hold their stuff, or like decorations, or um, I, I'm built them a frozen castle um the past holiday season because they they're obsessed with frozen so um I was like I was telling my sister I have a master's degree in dollhouses I'm gonna make them a castle (laughs) um so I like I like making things I think that's probably what I do the most in my free time is just like making oh wow that's really interesting I just thought of another question though who is an architect right now or designer that inspires you currently? Um, 
so this is gonna be really cheesy but uh i think right now i am really inspired by you know i mentioned that in the four years that i worked at at the firm in new orleans there was you know max two black people Mm -hmm. and one of those other um was brian brian c lee jr who is a badass and he's he was always he got me involved in uh, noma he got me involved in project pipeline and he's right now he's working on his uh, own firm collocate that he founded and it's all about social justice architecture uh-huh. and recently you know he's he's put he put me on um, a group chat with a bunch of other social justice um, architects around the country and just being on that group chat inspires me um, a lot of them are educators and you know back in um, going back to trying to trying to be visible and show up and be there for other people like me as as they come up in their careers um, you know being on that chat inspired me to uh, start teaching so I'll be doing design one at FAU this fall nice. Amazing. Um, so yeah I think I think right now, Brian and all of that, everyone on that group chat um, have really um, inspired me uh, to do more and be more. And thanks, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. Um, well, thank you so much, Vanessa, for coming on. This has been a great conversation. Thank you for having me.